This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And today, hey, it's time to meet your Florida neighbor. She's just a little up north, but it is 82 degrees. We are so done with the winter and we are happy. Thank God. I have Jessica Lewis of Moby Enterprises, and she's going to tell us how she is changing the game from here all the way to the continent in Ghana. All of it just represent Africa to the fullest. We thank Kenya Sheets, former guest Kenya of the South, for hooking this interview up. Jessica, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. How about you? I am great that I'm talking to you. I'm ready to hear how we can invest in Africa. So, you know, give the game, please. What is your company doing? Oh, well, what aren't we doing is the question. And so, again, I'm Jessica Lewis of Mobile Enterprises. We build residential and commercial structures out of shipping containers. And what I like about the shipping container is that you can place these bad boys anywhere to create anything that you can think of. And so between the United States and Africa, the things that we're doing right now, we are trying to build new communities, um, ones that are sustainable. Our container is wind, water, and fireproof, so it can withstand any kind of, I guess, special climate changes that we're experiencing across the world right now. And more importantly, honestly, guys, when you want to have a better quality uh, space to live in, play in and work in, these containers is the way to go. And so we're launching some programs on the continent and here in the U.S. And we just want to educate y'all on how y'all can get involved and do the same thing. I love to hear this. Now we're going to stay in Africa real quick, just because that's, that's just, you know, that's the now that's the future. How did this journey begin? And I know people want to hear about the price. How much does it cost? They even going to say it in Spanish. Cuanto cuesta? You know, they, they want to know, but let's talk about how it's, why Africa, why was, why, and why shipping containers? Well, for one, I'm black. (laughs) So I am of African descent. Why not Africa should be the question. You know, our continent is just suffering from so many things that, to be honest with you, when I visited there, I just couldn't understand why. You know, we have rich culture there. We have, I mean, it literally is the continent of opportunity. And so when I was there, all I saw was how can I rebuild this continent? You know, how can we put ourselves as a collective of Black people back on the map without this reparation thing? So I'm not even going to get on my soapbox about reparations, but we are the reparation, guys. This is why Africa. Why not Africa? As Black people, we need to really start investing and putting more time and energy into rebuilding things that we already have ownership of. So that's my input about why Africa. 
And from the container perspective, to be honest with you, I started that journey about six years ago as I was a project manager for companies that were doing container projects. And to be honest with you, I felt like the container is like the solution to all the world's problems. <laughs> you know, the container, you can use it for housing. Um, you can use it for transitional spaces, rather it's medical or some other type of function, you can build retail stores out of it, you know, and so that's kind of why Africa and why this product, because honestly, it can be a solution that will allow for us to catapult everything that we're doing on the continent and here in USA very easily. Well, Kenya knew exactly what she was doing when she sent this to me, because this is right up my alley. This is what I love to talk about and have investment land and a whole bunch of other stuff um, on the continent. I want to know what is the price? Because people probably fast forward to get to that. What's the price? I go on this beautiful website and I can see, you know, what a tiny home costs. But for those listeners, they're hearing it for the first time. What's the price and the timeline for if they say I have land actually in Nigeria or Cameroon, I'm ready. How soon can they get it done after you tell the price, please? For sure. Can I be transparent? Of course. Do you? All right. So for one, guys, people ask that question. That's like a commonly asked question. But people don't realize that the price is according to your finishes. So whatever you want that project to look like, your decision making ultimately depicts what your cost is going to be. So like you mentioned on our website, I can give an example of a build out for a tiny home. Uh, we have some that we're selling for about $40,000. It's a two bedroom, one bathroom, 40 foot container home. And so I'm just giving you that number because that is a product that people commonly are now wanting. So we weren't even really in the tiny home game. People synonymously think container is automatically small and it's not. And so we're actually used to doing projects that are 2000 square feet or larger. And so to answer your question succinctly, um, it depends on your project. However, if you say, hey, I just want to build out a tiny home community, it will be $40,000 per container, which is two bedrooms, one bath. The approximate square footage is about 320 square feet. Um, as far as you having land and wanting to do a project like this, again, it doesn't matter how large the project is, it's about what do you expect to have happen with that project? Do you want tiny homes? Do you want larger than tiny homes? Do you want retail space? Like, do you want to create a whole smart city? Like, we don't know. And so that question is very vague. And I wish I could give a better answer, but until I actually know project specifics, I won't know how to answer that question. And so oftentimes when people ask that question, I ask them to fill out a consultation form. That consultation form would tell us what you need from us because people come to us sometimes just for consulting, meaning they have a project, they want us to help them execute their project. Or sometimes they ask for a partial build out. Hey, Jessica, I just need you to do the framework. You know, or they ask us to do everything from start to finish because we are a comprehensive um, construction firm. We have architects and engineers as well as general contractors. So depending on what the need is, we can help with all of that. But the consultation form will ultimately give us an idea where we can give you a preliminary quote. 
And I ask that because it's such an annoying question in a lot of businesses where no job is the same, even in consulting and public relations, no, no client is the same. And so I kind of want to, I love that answer. Uh, You are media trained and just a a overall great interview. Um, Does it matter or is it any cheaper if someone says, hey, I have land in, you know, Florida, I want to build a tiny home. Is it any cheaper to do it in Florida than it is to do it on the continent? It, honestly, it is. Um, in fact, a lot of people <laughs> on our price list on our website, it says, I think, 65 or $68 and up. And they're like, well, your website says $65. I said, it also says and up. And so and up is according to the locale. So the unfortunate part of us not being able to have like a one size fit all price is because depending on that location, our home has to be, um, I guess, in congruency with that locale. So for instance, most homes in DC, what are they, 250,000 and up, 250,000 and up. And so we can't say, oh, we're going to charge you $68 per square foot. That would bring the property value down in the neighborhood. And so sometimes people don't realize that getting a container home isn't always cheaper, especially when it's a home. Now, it's cheaper if it's a multifamily property or a commercial structure sometimes because a lot goes into the square footage. But I'm just being honest, a container home sometimes can cost just as much as the stick built. But here's the caveat to that. When you're getting a container home, your home is now wind, water, and fireproof, right? So when you're talking about maintenance of a home, let's look at it from that perspective. Even though, you know, apples to apples, stick built versus a metal container built home, so to speak, maybe the same price, you have less maintenance. And because of the other materials, because we're a green construction firm, that product, in, in addition to the materials that we use inside your house, have your cost savings. So you're almost at a net zero home. And so I'm not going to go deep into that unless you ask a question about a net zero or a zero net home. But that means you barely have utilities. You know, you may be paying bare minimum for electricity, water, and that's because of the efficiency and the energy use in that home. So I know I said a whole lot to say, but. <laughs> no, keep keep saying it because that was my next question. And because on your website, it talks about smart homes. And, you know, a lot of folks when we're in um, Africa, people say, oh, but Kellen, the power goes out too much. I said, well, if you have a generator or if you would invest in solar, you wouldn't have to worry about that. So go into that and talk about all those great features. Absolutely. And so green construction, what makes it special, it's designed for sustainability. So that means you lower the impact on the earth and your product is a better quality for the inhabitant. A lot of people don't even know they're allergic to their houses. They're allergic to the drywall, the wood, the carpet, all the traditional material that goes into a stick built home. They're allergic to that. And sometimes they're even so from a continent perspective of Africa, you know, a lot of things are built out of center block and cement and all that stuff. A lot of that stuff has silica in it. And so silica is something that kind of irritates your respiratory, your respiratory system. And so you may see, oh, I got allergies. You see people sneezing or they're uh, always congested. You may be allergic to your house. However, on the green construction side, 
all those products are closed cell. So the things that you typically would be allergic to on the regular stick built side, you're not allergic to on a green construction side because there's nothing exposing you to this hazardous stuff that hazardous stuff that your material is made out of. So those trade-offs in and of itself, to me, I don't care if it is apples for apples price-wise, I would want a home that I'm not allergic to. I mean, kids have allergies, your dogs, animals, everybody's allergic to the house and all y'all doing is taking all this medicine, killing yourself when you could have chose another way of life, which is green construction, where you have a better product and it's healthier for you. Um, And so to answer your question, the trade-offs from the solar to um, energy efficient um, heating and water um, water systems. There's so many really great products out there, to be honest with you, that can really help you offset your long-term costs, your yearly and daily costs, as well as your home being more durable, meaning it won't break down as quickly as your a traditionally built home. And how do you work out, you know, working in different locations? Because I, I, I deal with construction, you know, trying to do it in Africa. And a lot of times people say you need somebody there. And you know what? You kind of do need somebody there or you need a great, you know, camera system so you can yell at people. Right. Yeah. But it's finding good people is is difficult wherever you're at. But how do, can you um, manage to be in Nigeria or Cameroon or Ghana, you know, how do you do that? Because I, I just need you to like give a little bit of the secret sauce so we can have people say, oh, it can be done. And this Penn State graduate and also Colorado, you know, technical graduate has got the the, the secret sauce. They might have to pay you for this. They do need to pay me for this and we can actually help them with that. And so the funny part is, For us, it took some vetting. Um, And so even if you're here in the U.S., you don't just start a project and disappear. Like your project will never get done. And so my specialty is project management. I am like the, the ruler of budgets and schedules, okay, as well as personnel. So you asked the question of how can you manage all these different projects. So one big thing that we're doing right now is we created apprenticeship programs. So one part of understanding how to successfully have projects is knowing that you've properly trained your people. So it's easy for us to say, well, let me hire, you know, Kellen to do my project. But how do you know if Kellen even knows what he's doing? And I'm not talking about Kellen done cap me up or sent me over a resume or a curriculum vita that says X, Y, Z. No, how do you really know? And so I would say the answer to your question is one be teachable and then be able to train your workforce. You know, a lot of people don't realize that if you don't take the time out to train your people, your business is setting itself up for failure. And so how we've done it is we've went there locally, we've contacted and had relationships with people who we thought could be good candidates to be our operations manager. And so when you're trying to do business on a continent, you do need to have somebody locally there that can connect you to whatever it is that you need to do. So we do currently have land in Ghana and we're also a registered business in Ghana. And all of that was done through our operations manager. And then we create those same relationships from country to country to country. And then by doing that, we don't have to physically be there or have special security cameras. You know, We don't have to do that because we trust 
trust and we've trained our people to know exactly how to handle business on our behalf while we're not physically present. So I would say the number one thing is finding a good, solid person that you can train and trust. And then from there, help them understand how your vision is for your company and make sure you guys are on the same page. And then from there, you have to trust that they'll be able to take care of their business. And the only way you can do that is because you've properly trained them. And so we have apprenticeship programs and everything designed to help our people really carry out our vision um, efficiently through our training programs. And is Ghana the only country thus far that you guys have worked um, in? And if not, you know, let us know. But can you expand, you know, in the in the near future? So we are expanding as we speak. So Ghana was the first. And so we will have relationships and build outs in Mali, Kenya, uh, Ethiopia, Morocco, Egypt. I feel like I'm missing some places. And so we're in the actual process of having those relationships executed and solidified through contracts. And then we'll be bringing our training programs and our our structures to these countries very, very soon. And we're very open to um, creating new relationships. Um, My goal for the continent is to make containers a, just much like here in the US, a common usage in construction and green construction is different. So we're also, we're launching programs that will both aid in training, but also do build out so that people can start living in those homes as we're building them out. Okay. And folks, I, I know if I don't say this, she, Cameroon, she did, she just forgot it. We can see the Bantu. Cameroon blood. is one of them. Thank okay. you. Okay. Yeah. I got a gift, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you leave it out. Um, <laughs> with, with, with Nigeria, listen, I would get in trouble if my people were listening in right now. They're like, wait a minute, how you gonna forget about us? Yeah, we have about 10 countries in Africa we're looking at right now. Okay, folks have been looking for this and you being an American, you know, you were born here, correct? Yes. That, you know, a lot of times my African entrepreneurs, they'll call me, say, hey, Kellen, we need an American partner. Will you or somebody do it? Because we're trying to get funding in Kenya. Hey, Kenya, Uhaligani, got to give a shout out. But um, they they want to get funded from VC. You know, they want the vultures to give them money and they're more likely to do it because in an American, and that's what I call American privilege, no matter what color you are, that you have in Africa, because they know they can sue us and bring us directly to jail. Do not pass go if something, you know, goes awry. How do you feel when you get to the continent? I feel before I have stepped on the soil of Africa, I'm not really sure I understood how black I was or how great I am, or how much I am my ancestors' wildest dream. When I stepped on Africa's continent, and and usually people get emotional, they cry, you know, when they're going through tours and stuff, I felt right at home. I felt like this was one of those times that when I tell you about love, and if you ever understood my story and how I grew up, When I went to Africa, that's the love that I had never had from anybody. Not only from the people, but you can feel the energy is different there. You know, as a black person, a lot of times, you know, 
whatever negative feelings we may have about ourselves, we then project that onto other people. I didn't see anybody arguing over there. I saw everybody just showing lots of love and just really appreciating and respecting and being grateful for who I am and how I can be a part of making Africa something fantabulous. And so from my perspective, Africa is me. I felt like it was something that I needed when you have something missing in your life. I felt like that was Africa for me. And so grateful that I was able to get there. And then COVID happened. You know, COVID shut down all year. They was like, nah, y'all can't come back here because y'all, y'all gonna bring that COVID over here. And so, you know, how I look at it is being able to take this whole year to pivot, you know, not being able to physically be places, but now you have to do everything virtually. It really allowed for me to do some great things. And this is how we created all those relationships. Man, I'd love to hear that testimony. And I want you to go a little bit deeper on how you grew up, because the same way you talked about the beauty of Africa, Mm -hmm. there are people who need to hear that they are not, you know, at a um, disadvantage because growing up can be hard at times. So if you could share what you meant by that and, and, and then to go on the other side and say, okay, this is what it was supposed to be, you know, if my ancestors weren't taken. For sure. And so me personally, I grew up in a no parent household. My mom died when I was eight years old and my father is still incarcerated and has been incarcerated all my life. So I was taken care of by, of course, a lot of community members as well as extended family. But shortly after my mom died, her mother died. So we lost two matriarchs within three months. Okay. And I became a matriarch at eight years old. So imagine being an eight-year-old, having to be an adult and just taking care of your whole family. And so many of us have those type of environments where we don't have two-parent households. We're getting taken care of by extended family and we're doing the best we can. We're surviving. What I will say to anybody that's listening that you felt like maybe the way you grew up wasn't ideal, there's always somebody out there living a worse life in their perspective. And so despite all that I went through, lots of abuse of all kinds, you just know, really trying to take care of myself. My only sibling got locked up a few years after our mom died. So he's been in prison on life, you know, life without parole, much like my dad. I had to do a lot by myself, you know? And so I just tell everybody to stay encouraged and you don't have to be a victim of your environment and what you've experienced, just know that God got something special for you the minute you allow him to step in and order your steps. But more importantly, when you find your passion, you'll have purpose in life. So all the things that you may have went through as a child, you may not feel like you live in in a, a positive environment, or you may not feel like you're living the way you're supposed to live, but seek your passion, seek your purpose, and you will feel better. Because the minute I found it out, I was 18 years old. I remember it like it was yesterday. I knew I had to be an entrepreneur for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I think I got to, something got to be better than this. It got to be a better way to life. And so I started my first business when I was in college. And so that from that moment on, I knew I wanted to help people. And that also allowed for me to 
find my my passion and my purpose. I was 18 years old. And ever since then, I've been doing nothing more but helping people. Never knew if I would ever get the opportunity to go to Africa to help our people at this level. But I'm grateful. And I promise you guys, the minute you find your passion and your purpose, you'll be able to step in a place that can't nobody ever take you from. There's no amount of your past that can ever take you away from why God placed you on this earth. And that will give you a renewed spirit. And that's what I got at 18. And then I got it again when I went to Africa. I realized that I was a lazy American. I don't work as hard as Africans do, you know, and I'm African as well, but I'm African American. We got a hyphenated title. And so with that, our sense of entitlement is a little different. Whereas when you visit Africa, I've seen some of the most amazing things and it just inspired me to work a little harder. And so during this whole pandemic time, that's all I've been doing. I'm like, okay, what else can I get into? You know, what else can I start? You know, my visions and my manifestations from the visions and having conversations with God, man, just has been phenomenal for me. And I just challenge everybody to do the same thing. <laughs> Amen. I I want you to let the folks know, because, you know, when you went to Penn State, you didn't study this. Um, no. And now your next code say 236115 and, you know, 116. Yeah. That's government talk for y'all who don't do RFPs <laughs> on, a, on a daily. So how did you go from, you know, psychology to, okay, I'm now going to go get my master's in, you know, project management and to say housing is where I'm going to make my billions? Well, I actually, my grandparents um, on both sides, my mom and my dad's side, so I still had family left after my mom and dad weren't in my life, so to speak, but they were developers. They bought real estate, you know, however, um, they always used to say, have a job first, have a business second, buy real estate third, you know, and so after a while, that formula didn't work for me. I'm just being honest. I'm like, okay, so I got to work and have a business and buy real estate. That's a whole lot just to get to a dollar. You know, it just didn't make sense to me. And so I had to make a conscious choice to break a generational curse. And so for me, um, I now focus on real estate and I have my businesses. I have multiple businesses. I have eight to be exact. And so I rather work really hard and my passion and my purpose for myself than to go to somebody's job and do it. And I'm not knocking anybody. Once you find your purpose, you'll find that you can always do better than a J-O-B, you know? And once you make that decision, you'll have the full freedom that a lot of people are trying to find by joining different things that may not be in their passion or purpose. So for me, that's how I got into this journey. You know, I started, my first business was a gift basket making business. And then I was like, eh, I don't think I really like this as much. They, you know, my baskets were pretty, but just wasn't my thing. And so when I started getting into mentoring um, and then also doing business consulting, I found that was my beginning of my passions. And so that's why I did get my master's degree. My undergrad is in psychology. Um, my master's is in business management with a focus on project management. And because my family had already been in real estate, um, I already had that exposure. So we did a lot of fix and flips and then we did some developments, new developments ground up. And so I wasn't fascinated at the time, but when I got into project management and started working with containers, I said, okay, now this is a smarter way to do development um, versus the hard way, which to me is stick, stick built and stain, um, framed homes. And so for me, I, I found a better way to do something that is a a crisis is something that's needed everywhere. And once I found that, that is 
had me step into a new purpose within the real estate industry. So if I don't ask this question, somebody's going to say, man, I wish Kellen would have got into what's the biggest house she's ever made. Where can we see a picture? And also not just the biggest, but maybe the most fanciest because someone thinking, wait, can I get a smart home with a container for under a hundred thousand dollars? That's at least two or three bedroom. Is that possible in America or even in Africa? Well, our biggest project is something that we're working on now. We're actually working on an eight-story multifamily. So it's an apartment complex. We have one that we're looking to build in this Atlanta area. So we're finalizing that deal with our customer. And then we have even a larger one, which is a 100 unit. It will be in Baltimore. And so for each project type, we're going larger and larger. Um, as far as luxury and as far as green living and all of that, we do have a really awesome picture gallery that's on our website right now that you can go and see some of the internal and external pictures. So residential wise, our largest was about 5,000 square feet. That picture is on our website. And now we're taking it to a whole nother level with the commercial projects because we're like, okay, how large can we go? How high can we go? And so if our customers are open to suggestions, we will take their vision to a whole nother level. And so these will be our upcoming really large projects. And unfortunately, due to confidentiality, those pictures are not on our website because our customers, they appreciate that discreetness. And so what you see on the website are things that we don't identify that's specific to a customer. And another thing that's important to understand is when you do a project with us, it is confidential. So we're not going to go and say, hey, you should go copy off of Kellen. No, we create something that's customized to you so that you can be proud of and say, hey, that's my house. And our architects don't resell the plans. And so each person, if you want a duplicate of something you already had, we will recreate it for you, but we don't sell your plans to somebody else. They will have to come up with their own original plans. And so most companies, um, they don't like to go the custom route. It's too much work, but we do because we want you to have the vision that you kind of had in your head. We want to bring it to life for you. And can they get a smart home that's, you know, a family could fit in, let's say two or three bedrooms for under a hundred thousand. And I say that because I find that a lot of folks, especially first home buyers, they get intimidated when you talk too big. So now that you're talking containers, they're like, well, if I could spend 80,000, I'd consider it. And so for those who are, you know, kind of on the edge and this is brand new, can you get a smart home for that price? You can. You can. And so we are a very cost friendly um, strategizing company. And so if you say this is my budget, we will make your vision work to your budget. Now, the compromise is, is that you have to be okay with one, our suggestions. And two, you may have to give up something that could be very costly. We'll find a great alternative for it. But sometimes if you want specific things, it can cost a lot of money, but we'll work with any budget. And will the banks um, lend? Because that when first container homes first came out, banks were kind of on the edge and uh, we don't know about that. You want to do what with our money? And so will banks now lend to container homes now that they've seen the success? So another word for container homes um, in our world and what we do, we don't do a lot of site built. So we do modulars or prefabs. And so, yes, there are FHA, USDA, 
um, working with the community development financial institutions. I actually just got off a call with them before we um, got off the call. In Africa, they actually have green construction loans. I don't know why the United States doesn't have it, but in Africa they do. So yes, the it's more accepted now. It's all about the language that you use. And so I would say, don't call it a container home, call it modular, call it prefab, or call it what they call as ISBU, which is International Standard of Building Units. Too long to remember, but ISBU module, prefab or modular is a better terminology to use because when you say container, they think mobile home and all our products are permanently affixed. So your language that you use in discussing your with your lenders, what kind of project you're doing really will make a difference. Man, Black YouTube, you guys know you need this game. Uh, Earn Your Leisure, African Diaspora News. You guys got to get this game. Dinah Samir, I didn't forget about you. But I want to know, with all the success that you have had, you know, from construction to consulting to, you know, I am the boss, Inc. and clothing, what is a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Two things. So we have a nonprofit organization, our nonprofit focus, 501c3, let me be specific because there's a difference. We have a 501c3 whose focus is on hiring ex-offenders and exiting veterans. And outside of just hiring them, we also will be helping them with housing. So we're building transitional housing for the previously incarcerated population. And then we're also looking to partner with Department of Corrections here in the United States, where we'll be able to start some programs where while they're incarcerated, they can work in our facilities, which will have a partnership with DLC and their on-site prison facilities. So that is real. When they say, you know, a lot of stuff is being built in prisons, that is a fact. So we're actually going to be building some manufacturing facilities where these people can earn $7 an hour while they're still incarcerated, and then they'll graduate from there and leave. So I say graduation from prison because once they graduate, they can't come back again, right? And that's our, our goal is to reduce recidivism. And so when they graduate, they'll then earn a higher wage as permanent employees for our company. And so the goal behind that, because my background is human services, is to reduce recidivism and also help those exiting um, formerly incarcerated as well as veterans enter back into civilian life. Because to be honest with you, a, a veteran um, exiting the military and someone exiting from another institution like a prison, their mindset is still the same. They still have to adjust. So we have social service programs that will help with mental health, uh, um, spiritual health, uh, financial health. We have a whole, like all our nonprofit projects has a full circle approach. Same thing with meeting the basic needs, making sure they have proper housing, food that they need because we do grow pods, all that stuff. So our whole nonprofit sector focuses on all of those things. And so um, that's our give back. You know, we also have partnerships with the Rotary Club. Um, we have other partnerships with Big Brother, Big Sister. Um, we created a mentoring program specifically for people so that they can have multi-gender mentors because some people didn't grow up with a mom like me. Some people didn't grow up with a dad like me. And so sometimes those interactions are very crucial into how a person is shaped. So our other nonprofit focuses on mentorship to help people have that positive relationship with the gender that they may not have been exposed to on a regular basis growing up. So we have a lot of give backs. 
you definitely are. I don't know if you have children or not, but you are giving back um, to a lot of people. So if you don't, you've adopted some. And so that is. Thank you. Yes. And many more to come. That is a, a beautiful story. And I want everyone to like, share and subscribe. Please. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.